Welcome to Heart Church. We believe the gospel has the power to change your whole life, all your life. We hope you're ready to hear from God and be impacted by this message. And today we're looking at beauty. And if like me, uh, you know, you've not really engaged with a sermon about this or, or a conversation about this, we're going to go on a little bit of a journey in helping us understand, interpret what we're saying uh, in regard to the ABC of, of WOW. Basically, for our purposes, we're talking about creating atmospheres and environments, restoring dignity, awakening the soul, speaking to our potential. We're talking about the things that move us, the things that awaken us, and the things that revive us. Isaiah 61, as I've alluded to already, says that this anointing, this message bestows on them a crown of beauty instead of ashes. The gospel is a beautifying message. What that means is that what life has burned up, what life has burned out, the gospel has the power to bring beauty out of it. The Bible says that all things work together for good for those who love the Lord. But that doesn't mean that all things are good. Not everything in our lives, not everything that happens to us is good. But Jesus, through and by the power of the Spirit, is able to bring good even out of the most difficult, painful, devastating circumstances. So this message is able to bring beauty out of ashes. God has the ability to take your ashes and make something beautiful out of them. God created us to appreciate beauty. In the perfect world He created, He decided that the best environment, and you've got to understand, God had every option in the world. He couldn't do anything. He could have created anything, but, but He decided that the best environment to put man and woman was in a garden. There was just something about that environment that, that would be a blessing to both, I suppose, but, but there was something there about immersing uh, man and woman in that environment of nature and of beauty. And I, I would want to say that, you know what, if God is planting a garden, that's going to be some kind of garden. That's going to be pretty amazing. The first garden that was ever planted, and it was planted by God. That's going to be beautiful beyond our imagination. Because when God does things, when He creates environments, He does a really good job. God never stands back from anything and says, It'll do. Sigh. He never does that because God does everything well. He does everything uh, with uh, uh, bringing a sense of, of quality and beauty to it. Just like when I mentioned it last week, week that we were talking about that Jesus turned water into wine, but He didn't just turn it into wine. He turned it into the best wine. It was the best wine you'd ever tasted. 
Some of you are thinking, oh, I should have come last week. I'm talking about wine, I'll have that. No, it's, it would have been miracle enough, would it not, for Jesus to take just water, plain water, and turn it into wine. We'd have all been like, oh my gosh, that is awesome. But he didn't just turn it into wine. He turned it into the best wine. It was the best wine that they had ever tasted. I was, you know, the, the thing was that the custom of the day was to always bring out the cheaper wine afterwards because after people had, um, the taste buds had been dulled a bit. But I, I would want to remind you, they'd already run out of wine. So even with their dulled taste buds, they could still tell that this wine was the best wine they'd ever tasted. Jesus is not afraid of extravagance. He's not afraid of it. He's never, never, he's never wasteful, but He's not afraid of extravagance. Like the extravagant act of worship that the woman brought to Him that day when she she broke her alabaster jar and poured perfume on him. And people in the room were shocked because the, the, the quality and caliber of that perfume could have been sold for a year's wages. But Jesus never rebuked her for that. He never rebuked her for that act of ext extravagance because some things are worth it when it comes to the things of God. And, and there are some things that we value because of what we understand. It's almost like from our side, it seems like it's really expensive. But you know, when it, when it comes to the building of the temple, as we'll talk about in a moment, the, the things that we value and consider precious, when it comes to the, the temple and the things of God, they just become ordinary building materials because it's all by comparison. When you're looking from heaven, in the comparison of heaven, what, what we see around us, as amazing as it is, can only be a shadow. It can only be a weak imitation of the beauty and wonder of what heaven can offer. Jesus is extravagant. He's never just enough. Even when they fed the 5,000, they, they found there were 12 basketfuls left over. Jesus is not someone who scrimps and saves. He, he is generous. They feed everybody and there's still 12 basketful left over because we serve a more than enough God. As we talked about the building of the temple in 1 Kings 6 and that's just a reference for you to, to go to on your own time but it just gives you a little bit of an insight of, of the detail and the depth that, that God went to in reproducing the temple, the, the beauty and the, and the wonder, it was, it was to do with these uh, the different kinds of wood and, and carvings, and it was to do with gold, and it was to do with beautiful, incredible fabrics of, of, of blue and of, of crimson uh, and, and, and purple. It was, it, it, it demanded the skills of the, the most skilled craftsmen of the day. There was perfume makers and artists and, 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 and fabric makers. It was utterly phenomenal. And I tell you that because the link between God and, and beauty and 
The use of beauty to interpret God is not a new test, is it not a new concept rather? From, from the 13th century till 1901, from the 13th century till 1901, the tallest buildings in the world were all churches or cathedrals. That's amazing. So the, the tallest and most magnificent buildings were places of worship. These buildings were beautiful and ornate, demanding the highest level of skill, creativity, and artistry. So down the ages, art, stained glass, sunlight, introduced color and beauty into an environment in which God might be encountered. And I want to say that one of the things that we seek to understand as we have approached it, we had to do it with anointing and we're doing it as we come to look at beauty and as we, as we come and look at what God has done. There is a big difference between, as it were, the Old Testament understanding of the temple and the way we would understand encountering the Spirit of God. Let me let me explain to you in Mark chapter 15. He says with a loud cry, Jesus breathed His last. The curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. What does that mean? Well, it means that Jesus died on a cross for you and I. The, the cross is the symbol that, that divides the errors. It divides the Old Testament. It divides the New Testament. But it, it even divides how we see uh, the years before Christ and, and A.D., Anno Domini. It is, it, is the, it is the pinnacle. And it decides how we approach God. Because when, when Jesus died on the cross, I think we could just maybe brush over the point that the, the, the temple curtain was split in two. Because it's like for us, in our culture where we come from, it's like, okay, so there was a curtain and it got torn in two. But maybe if I helped you to understand that the curtain that was torn in two from top to bottom was four inches thick. The breadth of a man's hand. And it was 30 feet high. So the tearing of the temple curtain was a supernatural act. And it happened at that moment because God was sending a message to the world. When Jesus died on the cross, and the temple curtain, the temple curtain used to divide the space, separate the, the, uh, the, the, the Holy of Holies. It was called the Holy of Holies, the place where the presence of God was. No one could enter there except one man once a year. And, and when that temple curtain was split in two, God was saying, you will no longer find my presence in a building, a temple built by the hands of men. And that's explained well by the Apostle Paul when he wrote a letter to 
the Corinthian church, he said, do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received, received from God? You are not your own. The message that God was sending to the world was that you don't have to go to a special building to find my presence because you are now a carrier of my presence. You are now a cathedral. Turn to someone and say, you're a cathedral. You're a carrier of God's presence. So wherever you go, wherever you go, we can have church. Wherever I go, we can have church because, because the Bible says that where two or three are gathered together, there am I, the Lord says, there am I in the midst of you because we can have church wherever. We can make church wherever. Why? Because the Spirit of God is within us and not within a building. So you say, well, why do we gather? Well, God asked us to. He said, don't give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing because whilst I am a carrier of the Spirit of God and you too are a carrier of the Spirit of God, when we come together, something unique and wonderful happens that doesn't happen when I'm alone. It's not, whilst I'm a carrier of the Spirit of God, it's only when I say we that we become the body of Christ. The church of Jesus Christ is the body of Christ in the earth. When Jesus died on that cross, the enemy thought he was playing his greatest card because he was doing away with the Son of God. But now, when, when Jesus died and that temple curtain was ripped in two, instead of having one man full of the Holy Ghost going about healing the sick, casting out demons and doing good in the earth, now that living bread was multiplied. As it was broken on the cross, it was multiplied. It was the worst thing the enemy could have ever done. Because now instead of having one man full of God walking around doing miracles, now he's got you and me and you and you and you and the body of Christ in the earth. That same spirit that rose Jesus Christ from the dead lives within you and I. The power of God has not been diluted in the earth. And I don't know about you, but I find myself overwhelmed and humbled by the fact that God would choose to use you and I. It's like, I get him using Jesus. I get him using his son, sending his son to the earth. I get that, but, but it's like, you know, if, like, if it was up to me, thank God it's not. But if it was up to me, I'd be like, no, whoa, whoa God, don't, don't take Jesus. We need him. And God's saying, no, he can come to be with me at my right hand because I've got you. And by my spirit, you will do in the earth what Jesus has done. And, and if that wasn't enough, he, he said that greater things, greater things shall you do. Greater things. There are the greater things that are awaiting the manifestation of the Spirit of God flowing through us. So I don't just come to church to encounter God. I do, but I bring Him with me. People know 
that God is here, not just because of the way we look, but because of my attitude. God says that the Spirit of God is within you. You are a temple. You are a container of the Spirit of God. God is saying that, that I, I, I sought to communicate my beauty and my magnificence through a temple built by the hands of men. But now you are my choice. Through the brokenness and, and the fallibility of humanity, I, dis, I have chosen to display my splendor. See, God doesn't just look at the outward appearance. We read that. We, we, we talked about it when we were speaking about the anointing. We, we, we read that, but, but the Lord said to Samuel, don't judge by a man's face or height. For this is not the one. I don't make decisions the way you do. Men judge by the outward appearance, but I look at a man's thoughts and intentions. I look at a man's heart. I look at a woman's heart. Beauty for me, as it were, says the Lord, is defined by what you are carrying, by who you are carrying, by what flows from within you. I am redefining beauty. We live in a world that puts us under massive pressure about the way we look. People going through more, more than ever before in the whole of history, people going through procedures, surgical procedures, pinning back this, lifting up that, sucking out that, trying to be this perfect image, only finding themselves frustrated because when they fix that, they think they've got to fix that. and that. It, It's so sad. It's so sad that we are so caught up with externals. We're so caught up with what is on the outside. And because it is, it is shoved at us right, left, and center, we can sometimes forget the most important things. And that in this regard, the church of Jesus Christ is absolutely counterculture because it's not about what you look like. It's about who you are. And we must, as we seek to build church together, we must never forget that. And it can be a difficult balance to get because we, are, we absolutely know that God looks at the heart. But we've also got to remember that man looks at the outward appearance. So it's not that it's, of not, it's, not, that it's not of any value. It has its place, but it must be viewed in its proper place. It's, it's way down the list. I wish, I wish our young people would get this. Seriously, if you're looking, if you're looking for a, a man, if you're looking for a woman, it's so easy to, do you fancy him? I don't know, do you fancy him? I don't know, it's like, it's like, we, 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 I, do, I think I fancy him, you know. It's like, we, we get so caught up in the way people look. And listen, real talk of course you know there's got to be a bit of chemistry there's got to be something that you find attractive I get that but 
there's nothing wrong with that, but there are some more important things than that. Some more important things than the hourglass figure and, and biceps. They have their place, but you, you, when you're looking for someone, you need to say, what do, what do they laugh at? What do they find funny? How do they spend their money? Are they in debt? Do they have a job? How are they around kids? How do they treat people they don't have to be nice to? You know, like waiters and cleaners and... How do they, because let me tell you, those things tell you a lot more about that person than the trainers they're wearing. They, they, that's actually what you're marrying. Because I don't care how fine they look right now. I don't care. Let me tell you, it, it's like, mm, you know, with the passing of time, things ain't getting better. That's all I'm saying. No matter how fine they look on their wedding day, you know, you better be marrying something more than that body. Some people are getting revelation all over the building. It's like, they, they said, oh my God, really? What? Yes. Because I'm telling you, you, had, you, need, when, you need to be marrying someone who loves God more than they love you. Are they passionate about God? Are they passionate about the church of Jesus? God, well, I don't know about that. <laughs> he fancies me. <laughs> oh my God. I can't be, is he looking at me? Is he looking at me? I don't know. Is it? Is, listen, that's, that's life, but there's more, there's more to that. And in the serious business of building life together, you need to look at some of that, that stuff. Turn to someone and say, he's talking to you. It's the issues of the hearts, the issues of the character that are the most important. In creation, we understand that God does value beauty. He puts so much color and detail. If you look at nature, if you look at wildlife, then you see that, that God just goes to extravagant measures in, in throwing color at things. And, and, and it's incredible, mind-blowing. And, and in fact, God insists that looking at the beauty of creation should point to Him. He tells us that in the letter that the Apostle Paul uh, sent to the Roman church when he said, uh, for since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, His eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood, and understood from what has been made so that people are without excuse. In other words, God's saying, when you look at creation, you can't say you don't know there's a God. When you look, when you, when you look and you really look, 
You can't say I didn't realize there was a God because somehow the, the invisible qualities of God are made visible through creation. Beauty, sure enough, is in the eyes of the beholder. There are gonna be some things that you find beautiful that I don't find beautiful and vice versa. That, that we, we can be surprised at, at the, the, the kind of beauty that some people find in certain things. But the most important thing is that it says something about you. It's about what moves you. It's about what awakens you. It's about what revives you. There's no one size fits all. We, I'm going to talk about some other stuff next week, but for the sake of, of today, I want to talk about beautiful environments. I want to talk about, I want to talk about um, atmospheres and, 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 and environments and why, why we do what we do because an atmosphere or an environment will either work for you or against you. If you... If you say you want to do one thing, but then you're creating an atmosphere that does not support that, you are working against yourself. So when, I, when it comes to atmospheres and environments, we have to think about what are we seeking to achieve? Let me put it this way. You know, if a, if a young man wants to take out a young lady, impress her, take her, I'm moving to this side of the room. Take her you know, to a romantic evening. I want to suggest to you that the fluorescent light of McDonald's is not necessarily going to work for you. You've got a plan, but you're in an environment that's working against you. Can't understand it, bruv. Bought a Big Mac, fries, Diet Coke, Supersize, you know. I don't, I don't know. Can't work her out. Can't please her. It's like, if you do that, you're working against yourself. Because atmosphere is set by lighting and, and music. It's, it's an environment where we seek to make people feel valued. Let me put it this way. It's like if, if someone's coming around to your house and they're coming for a meal and they're not people that you usually have over, most of us would tidy up. You know, we might be shoving magazines under the sofa and shoving things behind a chair and all that, but we're tidying up. Why? Because, you know, when, when we've got people coming around, I'm, I'm saying, you know, I value you. And, you know, there's some things about being family that we tolerate. But when, when you come into my home, I want to honor you. I want to give you the best of what we are. So that determines the tidiness of the space. It, it determines the cleanness of the space. It determines what, what plates and glasses and cups I use. Because, because we don't usually use this stuff because we're getting it out because we honor you. And we might not mind a couple of chips in our plate, you know? Not on the plate, in the plate. But, but for you, we, we, we are getting something out because we want to show that we value you and we value you being here. 
And I would want to just throw into the mix that when we talk about, you know, having people in our home and we talk about hosting, it's not just about what I have. I'm not talking about being subject to the the latest fashions and having the greatest stuff. Let me tell you, 100% true, no banter. I have gone to somebody's mansion, not just a house, a mansion. And I know it's a mansion. They took me around, showed me each room. They showed me their wine cellar. And then we were going to have a bit of dinner together, a bit of supper, and, and they opened a bottle of wine from their cellar and drank it themselves. Never offered me a drink. I'm over it. Don't get me wrong. I've like, I've only like talking about it so I can bring the illustration to you. I've given it to Jesus. I've moved on. It's no longer an issue, all right? So there I was in a mansion with all the nicest stuff. Made you feel bad about, maybe made you feel bad, but I I have actually also sat on mud floors. I'm made to feel like a king by the love and the level of hospitality and generosity that was shown. So again, it's not about the stuff we have. Because I'll be honest with you, I'd rather go and eat supper off a plate with chips in it <laughs> than I'd rather, I'd rather have a chip in my glass and I'd be loved, know that I'm welcome. Know that people want me there and they, they, they love having me there. Then, then go and sit at the finest table with the finest things. Knowing that, that people, you know, are watching, you know, the, those people who say, would you like another one? Uh, oh, I'm fine, thanks. Are you sure? Uh, oh, okay then, just one more. Oh, okay. <laughs> you know, they, they give the impression of being generous, but they're not being generous. So it's not just about the stuff I have. Again, it's about the the attitude, the heart. And when we do church, we're seeking, firstly, to create environments where people can encounter God. Understanding that we all bring God to the meeting, but there's something released when we worship together, when we come around the Word together. And when we do church, we seek to understand. I'm trying to give you an insight into the why behind the what. Why we do what we do when we talk about six-star service. Because we understand that when people come to church, they've maybe not had the greatest of weeks. In fact, they could have had a hell of a week. Maybe they've had a terrible time getting the kids ready. And, and, uh, and maybe they've had a row in the car on the way to church. Because you know that's what you do. You can, you can have a row in the car, be shouting at the kids. And I don't know why I also do everything in the morning. And every morning, every week we're late. And then you, you get out of the car when you get to church. And someone goes, morning, good morning. <laughs> oh, I'm fine, thank you, great. Awesome. We can put on our church smile and our heartbeat. But we want to we recognize the fact that people have real issues. They come to church with worries and and burdens. They, they come to church believing God for some stuff. And our heart is to seek to alleviate you of some of your pressure from the car park to the seat. That's why we want to make it easy for you to find a place to park. 
with someone who's smiling while you park and, and that you're going to get a welcome and a hello on the way to your seat and someone's going to show you where to go and, and there's someone ready to help if you're not quite sure where to go. Why? Because we're trying to get your attention. Because we know if you get to your seat with your head full of stuff, you're less likely to have a God encounter. You're less likely to engage. You know, we, we don't want you just engaging as we're speaking the blessing. You spent most of the service bodily present, but you're thinking, oh, no, the kids are back at school this week. I haven't done the packed lunches yet. Oh, I'm going to have to go to, I hope you're up. Hurry up speaking because I've got to get to Asda. I've got to buy some stuff. I'm not sure if I've got any ham in. And you're here, but you're not here. And we want to help create an environment so that you can be here. Because we know that when you are here, when you are present, physically, emotionally, spiritually, you are giving God an opportunity to engage with you. To speak into your heart, to speak into your situation, to give you answers to your problems. Because we know that at any point, God may choose to engage with you. Could be in the service, could be in the car park, could be in the atrium cafe after the service. God may take any opportunity because we are a body. We want to create atmospheres and environments that are empowering, encouraging. Ephesians 4 verse 29 says, And never let ugly or hateful words come from your mouth, but instead let your words become beautiful gifts that encourage others. Do this by speaking words of grace to help them. To me, to me that is what church should be. That's the kind of church that we are building. We're building a church where people can be empowered. Because we understand that this isn't it. This isn't your world. But somehow you've got to get something here that is going to help you in your world. That's going to help you with your family. It's going to help you with your marriage. It's going to help you in the office. It's going to help you at school or at uni. Wherever you are, you, you carry something from this environment into that environment that's going to help you and sustain you and, and give you the encouragement that you need to overcome some things that you're not sure you can get over. It's like, it's like when you watch on the TV. I love watching athletics on the TV. And uh, some of you have seen me do this before. But, you know, it's like when you, when you see the long jump or the triple jump or the high jump. And, and, and some people know how to, to work the crowd. It's interesting that people, even the world understands that something happens when we get together. Something happens, something's different when we get together. I know I can do this on my own. I know I can practice on my own. But there's something, there's something about this environment. And they go and they take, they take them out there and then they, they engage the crowd because they're at the edge of what they're able to do. They're not sure they can get over this. They're not sure they can manage this. So they engage the support of the crowd. And they get themselves ready and they use the momentum of what the crowd can bring to enable them to get over something they're not sure they can get over on their own. 
That is the kind of atmosphere that we're seeking to build in church every week and empowering atmosphere because we know you've got some stuff we're not, you're not sure you can handle. But you know what? We believe that by the grace of God, He can, he can help you and, and we want you to know we've got you. We're supporting you. We're, we're behind you. This is what church should be, a place of envir an environment of love and acceptance, not where we judge each other. It should be a place where I'm not afraid to be vulnerable. It should be a place where I'm, I'm not afraid to say, I'm not sure I can do this. I, I'm not sure I can make it. Would you, would you pray with me? And then we can, what does it say here? We can come with some words that become beautiful gifts. To say, you know what? I think you can do this. I think you're going to make it. And even if you fall, I'm going to be there with you. Even Jesus knew the importance of these environments. There's this account where Jesus, in dealing with Jairus' daughter, he went into the house and And the Bible actually tells us in Mark 5 that when he arrived, he saw a commotion with people crying and, and wailing loudly. And he said to them, why all the commotion and wailing? The child is not dead, but asleep. And they laughed at him. Funny that one minute they were crying. The next minute they were laughing. Seems to me the tears weren't that genuine. But then Jesus took some people into the room. He took Peter, James and John and his brother, the, the brother of James, and the mom and dad into that room because gee, even Jesus, the Son of God, understood that if we're going to see a miracle here, I need a certain kind of person around me. There are some spaces I can't take everybody in with me because I need some people who understand what I'm carrying. I need some people who know how to encourage. I need some people who can stand with me. Interesting that... When Jesus, the Bible says that Jesus put the people out who laughed. He put them out. Actually, physically, it implies He physically put them out. Interesting, some people improve the atmosphere of a room by leaving it. What do I mean by that? That Jesus understood that they were carrying a level of unbelief that might hinder the miracle. But then there are some other people that I need them in the room. I need to get them in the room because they're going to improve the atmosphere and increase the level of faith. And because Jesus came with the anointing of God and, and, and had the right people with Him in the room, he created, there was an environment for a miracle. And He said to the little girl, which means get up. And the girl who was dead rose up. And somehow for me, That is a picture of what church could be where we have people in the room who, who are carrying an atmosphere of faith. It's like, let me say it like this, you know, sometimes people say, oh, they went to a concert or they went to an athletics meet or they went to a game um, and, and, and they watched and they said, wow, the atmosphere was electric. That's because some people turned up with expectation and anticipation. And then, even if you weren't turning up like that, when you got into that atmosphere, you found yourself, hey, you, you, 
You caught on. It was contagious. That atmosphere just called something out of you. I think that's what church should be so that when we, the carriers of God, come in with carrying that atmosphere of excitement, expectation, anticipation, that God is going to do something, we create an atmosphere that when people who are far from God come in, they don't even know why they're excited. But they're excited. Oh my gosh, something's happening here. I don't, I don't know what it is, but I love it. I like it. Why? We build what we build because we're creating an environment where people far from God, people who are dead on the inside, people who are at the end of their rope can come into an atmosphere of faith and they can hear a word, the words of Jesus that says, get up, get up, get up. Death does not have to hold you. Fear does not have to hold you. Depression does not have to hold you. Sickness does not have to hold you. Your circumstances do not have to hold you. In the name of Jesus Christ, get up, rise up. There's more to you. When we talk about beauty, we're talking about creating environments of faith and breakthrough so that people's lives can be changed. It's not just so they can go home and say, well, that was nice. Because we live in a time and season where we need something more than nice. I need something that's going to change my life. You've come to the end of this message. We hope you've been challenged and inspired. Stay up to date with everything going on in the life of our church by checking out our social media. Just search Heart Church UK.